Where does it go? Where does it go? All of that cast off junk, where does it go? Welcome to Where Does It Go, a podcast about stuff. I'm Emily. And I'm Sarah. And today I'm going to talk about where extracted teeth go. Oh, tooth fairy? Sort of. (laughs) Great. That is uh, one way that teeth from small children end up. I don't know if people keep them or not anymore. I'm sure some parents keep them. Yeah, a lot of people still keep them from what I can tell from being in people's houses. Oh, yeah. Okay. (laughs) So some people keep them. I'm going to start with dentures because dentures were a pretty substantial use for extracted teeth for quite a while. It was a pretty substantial business model and a a really kind of depressing one. Uh, Corpses have teeth. I don't know if you knew that. Uh, What? And they either don't need to chew or you don't want them to chew. See the Revenant episode. (laughs) If you pull the teeth and pop them into dentures, there you go. You have dentures. Mm -hmm. It was also not terribly uncommon to use enslaved people's teeth. Oh, my God. It was stated at one point that George Washington bought his teeth from some of his the enslaved people that he felt he owned i i don't believe that that is what actually happened and then also teeth were pulled from convicted criminals from the poor and then also from deceased soldiers on battlefields it was not uncommon for battlefields to be raided waterloo teeth for the the battle of waterloo were very much a thing in Waterloo dentures. Also, American Civil War. Dentures have been made from human or animal teeth since at least the 7th century BC. Other materials are often too hard or soft to work well in the mouth. Teeth are what we chew with, so having teeth in your mouth, even if they're somebody else's, make it a pretty comparable amount of wear and tear on the bones in your mouth and Mm. the gum tissue. In the 16th century, though, Japanese invented wooden dentures, and the Western world didn't really replicate the quality of wooden dentures, or really even wooden dentures at all, until the late 18th century. And then porcelain and acrylic, et cetera, started to be used, vulcanized rubber as well, uh, in the late 19th and into the 20th centuries. So that sort of made teeth less popular in terms of use for dentures because really using people's teeth for dentures didn't always agree with bodily integrity taboos particularly with the dead Uh, touching the dead the american civil war resulted in radical changes to what slavery meant and who was enslaved and we could go into a long talk about where enslaved people went that would be a good episode actually yeah definitely and that's when we started cremating and embalming people was the civil war as Mm -hmm. well so they could get to home to be buried so that's interesting yeah and so grave robbing was actually you know even though people did it all the time it was frowned upon (laughs) as was robbing dead soldiers on the battlefield of their teeth as well as probably not yet dead soldiers that's another depressing thing to think about but but accurate so using people's teeth for dentures fell out of fashion which is a good thing it shouldn't have ever really been fashionable. Uh, so extracted teeth do actually have other uses than just dentures. That was the major use for a long time for extracted teeth. Uh, extracting teeth has been a thing for a very long time in human history. 
because when you have tooth pain, it's, it can be debilitating. It's oh. overwhelming. Yeah. Abscesses can kill you. Mm-hmm. That's a, you know, a pocket of infection typically around the root of a tooth and some pressure and somebody holding you down can result in getting rid of the tooth. So it's not as difficult to remove a tooth and survive as it is to remove other things. <laughs> One use is actually, uh, there are a lot of dentists who are proud of their tooth pulling abilities, which is fair. And there was a dentist who went by the name Painless Parker. He practiced around 100 years ago and once pulled 357 teeth in one day and had them strung as a necklace that he wore around his neck. Oh, okay. I don't think I'll ever go to that dentist. Yeah, I think he's dead. Oh, good. I'm guessing. (laughs) He also, this is really gross, he also had a bucket of teeth he had extracted that he would bring with him when he'd lecture on dental hygiene. This, this whole thing is sort of a direct quote from a website that I'll list in the show notes on our website. Okay. That bucket of teeth can still be seen today at Temple University's Dental History Museum. Oh, I kind of want to see it now. Yeah, that could go on our road trip. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Just a, bu- a bucket of teeth. It's so unceremonious. It's not a case. It's not a display. It's just a, bu- <laughs> a bucket. <laughs> So one of the more modern uses for extracted teeth uh, is actually to develop stem cells from them. Mm -hmm. Uh, Initially done in Japan in around 2006. There's not a lot of news that I could find on developments of the technique, but this can be done with adult cells and is a particularly useful source of extracted teeth is wisdom teeth because a lot of adults get wisdom teeth extracted. One of the main reasons that we get wisdom teeth extracted is because they can crowd or other teeth and cause them to rub against each other and cause damage to the teeth. And then also because they emerge later age-wise, you know, we get our adult teeth for the most part when we're around, I don't know, 10 to 12, somewhere in there. Mm-hmm. But then wisdom teeth emerge a lot later. Uh, late teen years are very common, even uh, into your 20s sometimes. They are younger teeth, and so they are more porous and softer, and so they're more likely to get cavities. So that's another major reason why extracting them is so commonplace. So this is interesting because my husband's dentist told him this week that people can get no wisdom teeth. They can get two wisdom teeth. They can get six wisdom teeth. I know. That's terrible. Yeah. Teeth are, teeth are, it seems like they're kind of just good and what's good enough. Yeah. (laughs) What doesn't take down most of the population is good enough in terms of teeth. (laughs) Another use uh, is that extracted teeth and the dentin and, and enamel from extracted teeth may be usable as an inlay in existing teeth, huh. so as a way to repair existing teeth. So what is a dentist actually supposed to do with extracted teeth? That was some sort of stories about how they can be used. Uh, and so what is a dentist supposed to do with them? Per the CDC, they have to be disposed of per OSHA, uh, that's the Occupational Safety and Hazard, I don't know if it's an amendment, act, something like that. Anyway, work safety. It's work safety rules. Right. The Bloodborne Pathogen Standard, a.k.a. they have to be disposed of in medical waste containers. Mm-hmm. Actually, Sarah talked about medical waste in, was it the last episode? I think it might have been. The episode before last. Okay. We have a medical waste episode. Listen to it. Yeah. It's, it's creepy. 
just like this one. (laughs) (laughs) However, a lot of people have fillings in their teeth and amalgam fillings in particular uh, should not be disposed of as medical waste. Because it's mercury, right? Exactly. And and medical waste is often incinerated or autoclaved or both. Ah, yeah. And if you heat up mercury, it vaporizes and then you breathe it in and it's toxic. (laughs) Don't do it. So if you have teeth with amalgam fillings in them, they should be sent to a metal recycler. And I'll talk about how teeth are cleaned. Amalgam can be distilled out by the recycler and used in other industrial applications. So it can be reused. We also have a scrap metal episode if anyone's interested. There are other trace minerals that are uh, higher value than amalgam and mercury. Gold teeth, there's also palladium sometimes, or platinum in teeth. They can be scrapped, and dentists can receive cash for the gold in them. It's not common to get a lot of gold teeth in a year, but apparently there's a substantial black market for scrap metals from teeth. Dental assistants and receptionists will smuggle out the teeth. (laughs) And sell them to middlemen who then send them to scrappers. And a lot of these middlemen will, and they're also women. It's not just men, but I'm using the sort of phrase middlemen. Often will exploit the fact that the supply chain between dental offices and refiners is poorly understood by the assistants or the receptionists. So if the dental office just sends it to people who refine gold out of teeth or fake teeth or caps or whatever they'll get a lot more money per gram than if you use some sort of shady middleman Mm -hmm. which makes sense yeah but if the dentist office is accumulating the money the dental assistant or receptionist may not see any of that money so it's sort of a way to and there may be dentists that defraud other dentists as well with this I'm not trying to slight dental assistants or receptionists frankly receptionists Administrative personnel make the world go round, and dental assistants work very hard. But there are, you know, there are there are bad apples in every barrel. They're the keepers of the puzzle palace that is bureaucracy a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. The administrative professionals, they generally can tell you how the puzzle palace works. Yes. <laughs> so be polite. Yes. Even if you don't feel like being nice, at least be polite. Even if they're smuggling teeth. out of a dental practice I guess unless you are the dentist with the dental practice you know we have sold on auction people's gold teeth yeah yeah it's it'll come up every once in a while we'll just find people's gold teeth well and one thing there's sort of a back and forth about oh can you keep your teeth from an extraction you absolutely can Mm -hmm. any any dentist that argues with you is incorrect it's even based on CDC and OSHA standards once the teeth are provided to the patient. They're no longer an OSHA hazard. And so the the disposal by the patient, however they're gotten rid of, is not the dentist's responsibility. It's kind of like once they're handed over, it becomes the patient's blood-borne pathogen care. Mm-hmm. So if they, if they then throw their teeth at the receptionist, it's the fault of the patient, not the dentist. <laughs> In terms of don't occupational. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that either. Don't, don't. Don't throw anything, but (laughs) don't throw body parts at people. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Extracted teeth can be used for dental education, which makes sense. They must be cleaned thoroughly enough to be non-pathogenic. I mispronounced that word, non-pathogenic. They typically should be heat sterilized. Uh, Teeth can actually be autoclaved 
It's worth keeping. Really? Keep, yeah, if they don't have metals in them, they can be autoclaved. And oh. there's some change to the dentin that makes research on and education on specifically the dentin not very useful. But for every other component of the tooth, mm -hmm. they're still useful. Interesting. It's worth keeping the teeth moist. Water or saline is fine. Bleach solution is another option. A container should be very well labeled, biohazard. They should be well sealed. The container should probably be bagged as well. If you are shipping teeth for dental education, please do not ship the teeth in a bleach solution. Please replace it with water. <laughs> do not autoclave amalgam teeth or amalgam containing teeth. They can be cleaned by soaking for two weeks in formalin. Oh, oh, wow. Yeah, which is a long time. You're basically embalming a tooth. But there is value in doing research on and education with amalgam-containing teeth. My, uh, I, I put in keeping teeth. Uh, I was allowed to keep my wisdom teeth. I don't know why I wanted to keep them, but I figured why not. That's badass. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't have the wherewithal to ask. I wish I would have. Yeah, I think I asked before I was put, oh. put under. That's a big part of why I was Mine able. were growing in sideways, so I don't think that. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, mine were, mine were such a quick extraction that they actually refunded me part of the sedation fee <laughs> because it took half the amount of time they were expecting. Yeah. My husband actually has had several teeth pulled. He's got very problematic teeth. And he asked that I make a necklace for my mother-in-law from one of his teeth. And it was mostly as a prank to be gross. Mm -hmm. Like She didn't want it, and he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> But yeah, some people make art with extracted teeth or keep them as medical curiosities. It, if you are famous, your tooth may actually bring a bring a pretty penny to you. <laughs> people collect several celebrity teeth. It's not they collect everything, as it, far as I'm concerned. Uh, yeah, for real. It's not <laughs> super common, but it does happen. A dentist in California actually once bragged at TMZ he saves his famous patients' teeth and might sell them. He got in a lot of trouble for saying that. Because he did not have their permission. Right. Uh, Corey Haim, the actor, actually tried to sell his own tooth online at one point. Uh, unfortunately, Corey Haim suffered from addiction and wanted to help pay for that through his teeth. And it didn't work out. Aww. Yeah. Poor very, Corey. It's a very sad story. And Corey Feldman is lost without him. I mean, really, that's obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Dentist in 2011, this guy is a little odd. I'm not going to use his name, but we'll link to articles that he agreed to be interviewed about. But this man is a little strange, I think. A dentist bought John Lennon's tooth in 2011. He apparently wants to clone John Lennon. And the tooth also came with a baby tooth from Julian Lennon. He bought it at auction from Lennon's housekeeper. I think it was at auction. Who John Lennon apparently liked her and gave her his rotten tooth. <laughs> Nothing says love like rotten teeth. That's the story, anyway. This same dentist bought Elvis's dental crown in 2012. He bought it at auction in the UK from a Tennessee dentist's collection. So, if you are famous and want to control the supply chain of your own teeth, you might consider asking for your teeth after an extraction. Yeah. Uh, Win Winston Churchill's dentures were sold at auction in 2010, uh, and Ty Cobb's dentures were bought by a collector and then donated to the Baseball Hall of Fame in 2001. So that's all I have about extracted teeth. They can be used for research, for stem cells, for collections. 
that dentist that bought John Lennon's tooth wanted to take it on tour to show people. <laughs> the touring tooth of John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good title. Yeah. <laughs> uh, some people keep their own teeth. A lot of them get thrown away as medical waste. Or if you keep your teeth and then you throw them away, they just get thrown away as waste waste. I love oddities collectors. Seriously, I think anybody will collect anything. Oh, for real. Yeah, they absolutely will. <laughs> yeah, so that's where extracted teeth go. That's awesome. I really enjoyed that. Thanks. I'm going to talk about where did, where are shopping malls going, went. Um, and so this is a broad topic because I can't tell you where all of the shopping malls went, obviously. So it seems like in the 80s, large enclosed shopping malls with food, you know, the ones with food courts, maybe they had carousels, were coming up everywhere until about the mid-2000s where it seems like there was like a, a, a switch that was flipped and now they're dying if not already dead. Yep. Everyone probably past the age of 35-ish um, if you're in your 30s, you probably remember a mall that you grew up near that was really popular, maybe, or you saw in movies that everyone was going to the mall, but that is now like a creepy dead husk of what it used to be that is populated by one, probably a Chinese restaurant that won't give up, and it's probably, the rest of it's either rented by some kind of civil service or insurance agency or something similar. I think there's malls everywhere that are like that. So in the 80s and 90s, there were, there were a ton of scenes in teen movies that seems like it was ubiquitous that were full of, of shopping malls or the entire story was centered around the shopping mall like Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventures, <laughs> <laughs> Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Weird Science was there was a shopping mall kind of featured in that. And even in the newest seasons of Stranger Things, if we have any Stranger Things fans out there, which is supposed to take place in the 1980s, that show is set in a lot of the times the new Hawkins, Indiana Starcourt Mall. So they're really playing on that. So in 1956, the first enclosed shopping mall uh, opened in Edina, Minnesota. It was designed by Victor Gruen, who was an Austrian architect and designer whose idea for the enclosed mall was that it would be more like the downtown market centers of famous European cities. It would be more of like a, a third place or a public place for people to meet, kind of hang out, walk around. And then from 1956 on, over 1,500 enclosed shopping malls opened. Um, so that was quadruple, I believe, the quadruple, the amount that it was like it, the amount of malls quadrupled, but the population of the United States didn't keep up. In fact, a lot of the United States kind of thinned out and people moved towards cities. So why is that? Why did malls die? Why are they dying? Well, a lot of economists blame that we are completely over-retailed in this country. There was a mall craze in the 80s and 90s. They say too many were built. We really built too many, and the main reason is really seen by economists that there were half as many households as kids now than there were in the 70s. So there are fewer people spending money, more people have moved to the cities, the suburbs have kind of the suburbs and rural, rural areas have thinned out, 
and cheap land, lots of tax incentives from cities, and lots of money got poured into shopping malls, and then now they're, they're just not populated around them anymore, so nobody ever goes. It's seen as a market correction. The second reason is thought that Walmart and stores like it became the new norm as they were spreading and had much wider distribution from the 90s on. They took over as the, as the anchor stores like Macy's, JCPenney's, and Sears started to flag in sales. So Walmart, Target, you could just go there and buy toothpaste and pants at the same time instead of going to the mall and having to go to one store for pants and then stop at the drugstore on your way home to get toothpaste. You could get it all in the same place. And then, of course, the Great Recession of 2008-2009 happened, and this dropped shopping and shoppers' ability to spend disposable income because many of us didn't have as much disposable income. People um, were coming out of college, and they had nothing. They had no real jobs to depend on. They had a lot of student debt. So there was not a lot of disposable income. People started shopping more at Walmart and other discount box, big box stores because there's a wider distribution of them because they didn't have to go to the mall, as I said earlier, to buy, you know, pants and then stop at the drugstore to get their toothpaste. They could get it all at the same place and get it at a discount. And then, of course, online shopping, which everyone says is probably the first reason, but actually the um, last three reasons I talked about is probably more the reason the reasons that malls have started dying. You don't have to go to the mall anymore. For people like me, there's wider size range and more variety online. When I go into the malls, there's you know, very rarely sizes that fit me there. So I often get better prices and more variety online. And I think that's a lot of the reason a lot of other people shop online too. I don't know if I'm stepping on something you're about to say in the near future, but you also can read other people's opinions on items. Yeah. In real time versus having to ask your friends or comparison shop mm-hmm. at, at different locations or just accept whatever you're being told about the item at the time. Mm-hmm. So that has that has real fundamental value. Yeah. And plus, if you're a small retailer, you can actually sell online and have less of the the overhead that the larger stores would have. So you don't have to pay rent for a giant store. You can just sell exclusively on not online and you don't have to wear pants either <laughs> no one has to wear any pants during these processes you can buy things without wearing pants nobody can see you you can sell things without wearing <laughs> pants everyone can be in their pajamas now and maybe that's a good thing maybe it's not I love my pajamas so I think it's a good thing but I do like occasionally going to the mall, but we do actually have a mall that is surviving here. Yeah, we have a really nice mall. It's closer to Sarah's house than mine, but it's surprisingly nice and thriving for a mall. So there might be reasons why that mall is thriving and other malls aren't. We have the population center to really support it, and, and that might be a lot of the reason for it. And also they've done quite a few things to that mall too make it so that it's more of a destination. There's actually an outside area that you can walk around in with a lot of, there's a movie theater, there's a lot of restaurants, like kind of on this boardwalk kind of area, and then you can walk into the mall and there's all the stores you would generally see. But 
that is, uh, I think, maybe a lot of the reason why our mall is thriving a little bit more than other ones is that they've done a lot to try to make it more of a destination than, you know, just going in and buying pants and leaving kind of a thing. <laughs> so how many have closed? So the estimate was about 1,500 malls had opened um, between the 70s and 2017. Uh, about 500 have closed. So we have about 1,000 left. A lot of them are not doing well. And at least a quarter of them are thought to be on their way out by, by 2020, if not sooner. Or So 2022 is the, they, they think about 250 to 400 more will close. And, and most of them are being torn down. Some of them are being repurposed into insurance offices, libraries, or in the case of London, it, there's a giant paintball parlor where you can shoot zombies. Apparently, there's like this zombie paintball parlor where you can chase zombies and shoot them. They're also being retrofitted, and I thought this was really cool. There are people who specialize now in retrofitting old malls. If the population can support it, like if it hadn't moved out into more of what the original designer of them, it's really becoming more of what Victor Gruen kind of wanted. He wanted more of a downtown area where people are living, and there's more shops, and it's more walkable. He, he didn't really think that the suburban you have to drive all the way out there, the sterile kind of environment that shopping malls have kind of become. And he wanted more walkable downtown area. And honestly, that's what a lot of them, excuse me, are being retrofitted to become. They're adding condos to them. They are adding more of like an outdoor main street to them. And even though there's a part that is the indoor shopping mall, they are adding more restaurants, more cafes, and it's really becoming more of a community place. And it seems like uh, there's a lot of people moving into them where they don't want to live in an expensive downtown area, but they want to have a place where there's stuff to do, which is fair. And then a lower proportion of them are being regreened, but they're being regreened, which is kind of a good thing. They're depaving them. They're making them into walking trails, meadows, parks. Um, they're... They're making them back into wetlands if they were wetlands before. So I hope that maybe more of them go that way. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And I have to mention Dan Bell and his Dead Ball series. So Dan Bell is a YouTube videographer. He's really pretty interesting. He's traveled across the country visiting creepy dying malls. So he just really, he takes a video of himself ambling through these creepy dead malls. His commentary is usually pretty hilarious and he just shows you pictures of these malls for some reason there's always water leaks everywhere like everywhere is like the roof is leaking i don't understand this i feel like kmart has that issue too where i've never been in a kmart that wasn't leaky and damp yeah i don't understand that so weird yeah <laughs> and he puts vaporwave soundtracks to them <laughs> it it is really like a lot of his videos are just really interesting to watch because if you're as old as I am, I remember the mall craze and I remember hanging out in the mall and then I see these malls similar to a couple of the malls near me when I was growing up that are just dead inside. They're just these creepy husks where there's like this one massage parlor that's still there and then an insurance company has taken over the rest of it. 
And a DMV. And a DMV. Oh, yeah, there's a DMV here in North Cape Mall. Yeah, they're mall killers. If if a DMV (laughs) shows up, ooh, watch out. Yeah, exactly. It's it's game over. (laughs) (laughs) And so Dan Bell will often also have these awesome retro snippets of old commercials from... I think, what was that lady that she had, like, a psychic network? <sighs> was it Miss Cleo? She'll have Miss Cleo, but then there was another, she was, like, part of the Jackson family or something. Oh. Dionne Warwick, she wasn't oh. part of the Jackson family. <laughs> he'll have, yes, like, snippets of her. Yeah, she'll ha- he'll have psychic friends or just real snippets of these old commercials mixed with Vaporwave, mixed with him, like, ambling, ambling through these dying husks of malls. I can't suggest them enough. And you can find him on YouTube. He, it's really interesting to watch. And he talks a little bit about, like, dying malls and the, the town around them. And it's great fun. So, yeah, that's where... Dead malls are kind of going, gone. They're on their way out. A lot of it is because we just built way too many, gave too many tax incentives for them, and the tax base moved. That's just the way it goes. Well, and I was trying to do the mental math, which I'm very slow at, but uh, 1,000 malls in the U.S. is 20 per state Mm -hmm. if you're spreading them all out. That's insane. Most of them are actually on the Midwest and East Coast, too. There's not many in the middle, uh, Iowa, like, well, there's not many, like, South Dakota, North Dakota. There's not many malls in that, in that kind of swath of not populated area. Yeah, why would they want them? So, <laughs> so it's just the density, even now with 500 of them closed down, is huge. It's crazy. So there was an interesting article that I read about, I think he was an economist, and he said there are a thousand malls still left in the U.S., probably uh, a quarter if not half of them will close by 2022, Um, and he said that there's still way too many. He said the U.S. could probably support 20 large enclosed shopping malls just we're just way over retailed and it's just a market correction which I find is interesting and I think that the statistic was that there's 23 square feet of retail space per person in the U.S. that's nuts and there's two in like the UK Germany and and other European, there's two square feet of retail space. There's 23 per person was the estimate. Jeez, that's too much. Yeah, so 23 square feet, let me think about this. This is like everybody has their own walk-in closet full of retail space in the United States, whether you need it or not. (laughs) And whether you're utilizing it or not, it exists at all times, even if you are just in your house. Exactly. Or even if you exclusively shop online. Yeah homestead and make all your own stuff exactly wow this is really interesting i'm really glad that some of the spaces are being re-greened particularly because each time they do that they'll learn how the process can be improved so mm-hmm. every time it happens it's an opportunity you know it, it makes it easier for the next mall or next group that does it agreed and i it just makes the environment prettier it just re-greens the world In my opinion, it's a great thing, especially out in the Midwest where prairie is beautiful. Oh, yeah. I didn't didn't really think that because I grew up around it. But as I've moved here into the southeast with all the trees are everywhere, they're ubiquitous. Like you throw you you don't mow for five years and there's a tree there like 
pine trees are everywhere here and you can't really see the horizon, but I still remember, I still have dreams about looking out over the prairie and seeing the sunset and it's just wide open spaces. It's beautiful. That's really nice. (laughs) So more green things. Yes, please. Less concrete things. And, uh, be careful with disposing of old teeth. <laughs> don't don't incinerate your amalgam fillings. Yeah, please don't do that. Or, you know, smuggle some, buy your gold teeth legally. Yeah, that is a great idea. <laughs> That's a really good suggestion. Look on auctions. They come up every once in a while. Yep. <laughs> well, thank you, Sarah. Yeah, thank you, Emily. Uh, you can find us at wheredoesitpodcast.com. And we're on a lot of different podcast platforms, but not all of them because some of them have really annoying interfaces that I don't feel like working with. And we don't have to. Exactly. (laughs) 